Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we're going to be reading through verses 1 to 10. I'll give you a moment to, uh, to find that in uh, your paper Bibles or on a device. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thanks, Bertie. Six to eight, we're going to head out uh, for Bible study. Well, as I said, uh, today we continue our vision series. Um, I should have mentioned before these uh, little uh, pamphlets, that uh, brochures that were on your seat. Please um, do take that home. That's the, um, that's the brochure that will go uh, along with our vision Sunday in a couple of weeks. So the details are on there to, for you to read um, later, not now, read later. Um, Together with the letter, please read the letter because it kind of gives you the full version. This is um, just some of the points from it. Um, and then uh, there's a response form for us to fill out and to bring along uh, in two weeks' time on Vision Sunday. Uh, we are talking about vision, uh, which is, vision is about who we are. It's about what, we, uh, what we're on about, where we're going. It's, it's, uh, it's a looking word. I mean, vision is about looking, it's about seeing, it's about seeing where we're headed. And it's pretty important to, um, to be able to see where you're headed uh, so you don't kind of just blindly wander around and sort of randomly bump into things. That's, that's what happens when we have no vision. Um, but uh, we're thinking about our vision. Where are we going? Who are we? What are we on about? And uh, we're starting with the word grace. It's a bit of a strange word, grace. What does it actually mean? I think if you ask the, the average person in the street, you know, what, is, what does grace mean? I'd say, oh, it's sort of like you know, maybe elegance or you know, like a ballerina is uh, full of grace and elegance and class or maybe grace is they'd say it's, oh, it's that's what some you know strange religious people do before they eat food they they say grace or you know once went to a wedding and someone said this prayer before we ate or something it's a bit of a vague word grace it's a nice word but it's maybe a bit vague so you might think, well, why did we use this strange word to name our church? Um, not wanting to reignite past debates. Um, actually, a couple of weeks ago, Carol um, from our Gledswood Hills congregation, she helpfully pointed out that our website lacks a, a definition of this word and we, we need to explain the word grace because, well, it is a strange word to our world and culture. It is a strange world uh, concept, as well as a word, it's a strange concept in our world and culture. Uh, you could say we live in an increasingly graceless world. I mean, so much of life is 
sort of the opposite of grace. So much of life is about our performance. It's performance-based. You know, at school, you, you get rewarded for your performance. At work, you get rewarded for your performance. What The effort you put in correlates with the result that you get. On the sporting field, it's you put in the effort, you get the results. Even in relationships, there can be this sense of it's, it's kind of performance-based. What you put in is what you get out. And it, the justice system, the legal system, what you, you get what you deserve. Effort brings results, brings rewards. That's so much of how our world works. Now, we do see exceptions to this. Um, I think in, in a crisis, in, you know, there's a bushfire or a flood, and people will go to extraordinary lengths uh, uh, to, to, to generously help out others. And it's not because they well, they've somehow earned the right to help. The, the help is undeserved. It's, it's a gift. And, and we see that and we, and we love that. And I wonder if that is because it reflects the fact that we, we, we just know that's kind of the right thing to do. But even then, our acts of kindness can also come from mixed motives. You know, we like to, we like to feel good about ourselves and our generosity to others. So then is it, is it actually grace or is it just a kind of another performance-based expression of effort that brings reward? I make the effort to help someone out and my reward is I feel good about myself. In many ways, we live in a graceless world. I think increasingly our world, our culture pushes us to be, to be polarised with, with no place for grace. Now, you are confirmed in, in your position, your understanding, your truth, and, and, and others who think differently to you, well, they are to be treated as, as other, as different, as wrong, and almost certainly as dangerous. You're not, they're not to be treated with grace, with kindness, with respect, but they, they, they ought to be cancelled. They, they, they should be silenced, condemned. That's increasingly our culture. Grace has little place in our performance-driven cancel culture. Why do we use this strange foreign word to name our church? But it gets worse. Even in church circles, I think this idea of grace can be sadly foreign or misunderstood. In Roman Catholicism, grace is seen as some sort of spiritual substance, a thing that is that is given to us by God as a reward, as a payment for our religious observance, our performance, which actually completely turns the idea of grace on its head. We don't need to look to Roman Catholicism to find graceless Christianity. Uh, for me, growing up in a, in a Christian family and, and attending church, um, I attended every week and I heard the gospel and I believed and I'm immensely grateful to God and to my parents for that. But despite what was preached... I, I think I took hold of a, perhaps not graceless Christianity, but a, I could call it a grace-light Christianity. See, I, I figured that I was, I was a pretty good guy. I mean, comparatively speaking. I mean, I knew I was a sinner. I, I, I was aware of that. I knew I needed Jesus to die for my sin. But really, I thought I wasn't that bad. I'd performed pretty well. I mean, at least in other people's eyes. And surely, well, God would... God would think the same, right? And if God's standard was 100%, you know, as I was told, well, well, I figured I'd, I'd achieved a pretty solid, I don't know, 85, 90. I just needed Jesus to kind of get me, 
the rest of the way. My grace light Christianity was really graceless Christianity. It was false Christianity. Sadly, I don't think I'm the only one, I don't think I'm alone to, to think in this way. There's a long history of seeing humanity in these terms, seeing the human condition as pretty much like that. So even in church circles, grace is sadly misunderstood. So why did we use this strange, foreign, misunderstood word to name our church? Uh, there, was, there were some practical, pragmatic uh, reasons and value in having a um, unifying umbrella term to sort of unite our three congregations meeting in three places. But, but why grace? Well, the big reason is because grace is at the heart, the centre of reality. And God's stance towards us is one of grace. Who we are flows from God's grace. How we're to live comes out of God's grace. Grace is important. It's, it's vital that we, that we get it, that we understand it, that we rejoice in it, that we rest in it, that we live it out, that we let it shape our, our thoughts, our words, our, our actions at, at home, at work, at church, in the world. And this passage before us, Ephesians 2, it shows us perhaps better than any other what grace is and why it is so important. It was this passage that for me as a 19-year-old, as a when I heard it preached, I suddenly realised my graceless Christianity that I'd, that I'd embraced. So I want to refresh us this morning with, with these truths such that it, that, it, that it would nourish us, that it would humble us, that it would encourage us, that it would delight us, that it would spur us on, both individually and as a church. So that's my perhaps overly ambitious uh, prayer this morning, that, uh, th that that would be true for us. Uh, let's get into it. Uh, Ephesians 2. Hope you've got it there open in front of you. To get how good grace is, uh, we firstly need to understand how badly needed it is. Uh, sometimes of an evening, Jenny and I will, um, to wind down, we'll watch one of those home renovation shows. Uh, you know, where there's the, there's the run-down, dilapidated house and it, it gets amazingly transformed into this spectacular home. And when they, they do the grand reveal at the end, they, they show you the before shot so that you can appreciate just how amazing the transformation is. It's a little bit like that here. Paul shows us the before shot and it's, it's pretty bad. It's almost certainly worse than we think. But we need to appreciate we need to appreciate that in order to appreciate how good the transformation is. So come for a wander with me through the derelict house of the human condition that has a condemnation order hanging over it. Verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. The default state of the human condition is dead. That's pretty bad. Notice it's not you were weak in transgressions and sins or you, you were sick in transgressions and sins. It's dead. Now, dead people can't do much. In fact, they can't do anything. That's, that's the nature of being dead. But notice it's dead in transgressions and sins. God's law tells us the, the good that we should do and the bad that we should not do and, and we transgress his law. We, we go against it. 
In our sin, we, we decide for ourselves what is good, what is bad. We're dead in transgressions and sins. But the picture gets worse, if that's possible. The, this state of being dead, it, it goes hand in hand with following the world, the devil and the flesh. Verse 2 continues, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. The world, the world and its ways stands in opposition to God and his good laws. Uh, the ruler of the, the kingdom of the air, it says, it's a way of speaking of, of the devil, of Satan, who, who, who rules be, between earth and heaven, so to speak, uh, seeking to lead people in disobedience to God. And thirdly, our flesh, which is a way of speaking about our sinful state in opposition to God. We followed the world, the devil, the flesh. But notice these words, uh, following gratifying, following their, their actions. I mean, how does that work? I mean, dead people can't do anything except they can float with the current of the world, of the devil and the sinful desires. It's a stark, bleak picture. But it gets worse still. The end of verse 3 says, Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath by nature in our in our dead in sin state we deserve god's condemnation we might resist that but but that actually makes sense i mean if we're shooting for a, a performance based outcome getting what we deserve the outcome would be for us to face god's righteous judgment i mean that, that that's what we deserve for, for us to say no to god would call on him to, to say no to us. That's justice. This is our problem. This is the, the before state for you, for me, for all humanity. It's not pretty. It's not nice to dwell on. And we, we want to sort of rush on, don't we, to, to, to the glorious transformation, the aftershot. But it's important that we see the problem clearly. It's quite common for people, for churches, to, to redefine the problem, to present a different picture, maybe to say, well, look, it's about being out of tune with God or being in danger of not living up to the, our God-given potential. Or it's about the danger of being unhappy or unsatisfied or impoverished in some way. But if you redefine the problem, you inevitably change the solution which means you end up with actually a different religion that doesn't address the real problem, that we're dead in sins facing the wrath of God. And you end up missing out on the real and glorious solution. Rather than redefine the problem, if on the other hand we, we swallow our pride and face up to the stark reality of our fallen state, well, then we're ready to see the, the wonderful and glorious solution, which is expressed here in, in these words that follow. Five glorious words, verse 4, but God made us alive. 
We were dead, but God made us alive, resurrected to life. Spiritually, dead transgressors and sinners following the world, the devil, our flesh, our sinful nature, but God made us alive. Why did he do that? Well, because it says of his great love for us, because he is rich in mercy. Just let that sink in for a moment. God loves you. Even when you were dead in your sins, undeserving of his love, God loved you. We might be especially aware of our sin. We might think, gee, I'm I'm pretty unlovely. How could God love me? But your love, sorry, your sin, your and my sin, it doesn't drive God away. Now, if we come to Christ, if we belong to him, our, our sin evokes his great love and mercy. Uh, the book Gentle and Lowly, uh, which uh, you might remember is uh, one of the 37 books in Ben's top five books, um, it is an excellent book. It's such a great book about, well, about the, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferings. That's the, the subtitle. It's about Christ's heart. And there's a chapter in there called What Our Sins Evoke. And the author concludes with these words. He says, The sins of those who belong to God open the floodgates of his heart of compassion for us. The dam breaks. It's not our loveliness that wins his love. It's our unloveliness. Our hearts hearts gasp to catch up with this. It's not how the world around us works. It's not how our own hearts work. But we bow in humble submission, letting God set the terms by which he will love us. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Friends, this is grace. This is God not treating us as our sins deserve, but saving us, saving us from sin and death. It is by grace you have been saved, as verse 5 concludes. And this, this salvation that comes by God's grace, it's in Christ. In, in Christ's death, our sin was dealt with. We, we died with him in that sense. In his resurrection, we have been raised spiritually to new life. We are at peace with God. We are forgiven by God. We are his greatly loved, made alive people. And notice that this is our current state, verse 6 says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That is, this is past tense. This has already happened, raised, seated already. We've been made alive spiritually. We are with Christ now in the heavenly realms. This death to life, radical transformation has already happened spiritually. But the grand reveal is still coming. It's like we're in the the ad break towards the end of the show, waiting for the grand reveal. Verse 7 says, He has done this in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace 
expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So the, the effect of God's grace has, has not yet been fully revealed, but it will one day. One day the world will see, will see Christ and his people, people saved from being, being dead in sin to being alive with him, saved by his grace, by his love, by his kindness, to his mercy. And on that day, the world will see the, the outworking, the, the evidence of the incomparable riches of God's grace. That word incomparable there, um, it occurs five times in the New Testament, and three of them are here in Ephesians. It has the sense of being all-surpassing, exceedingly great, bigger than anything. So in the previous chapter in 1 verse 19, Paul talks about knowing the incomparably great power of God. And in chapter 3, 19, it speaks of, he speaks of knowing the all-surpassing love of God. God's power, his grace, his love, the incomparable riches of God's grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, that will be shown one day. We can struggle to, to get grace, as I said earlier. Uh, it is a, a strange foreign concept in many ways. Maybe that's why Paul repeats himself to help his readers, to help us to, to get this vital point. So verse 8, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Notice there, our salvation comes from God as a gift. It's not from ourselves. It's not from our effort, our performance, our good works. We, we can't boast and say, look at what I contributed to my salvation. Look at my 85, 90%. We contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin from which we're gloriously, graciously saved. So what is grace? It's God's saving us, even when we didn't deserve it, even when we were dead, disobedient, deserving of wrath. By grace, he loved us, made us alive with Christ. He saved us. What does that mean for us? Well, by way of application, this calls us, this invites us to live in God's grace, to firstly receive God's grace. I don't know where, uh, where each and everyone is at with God, where your heart is before God. But if you haven't yet received God's grace, I hope that you can see something of the, the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. See his love for you. Receive his gift of salvation. That, that's what faith is. Faith is simply receiving, trusting the gift of God. And, and as we receive God's grace, so we must continue to, to rest in God's grace. Uh, if you're feeling beat up, if you're feeling, feeling down about yourself, if you're feeling discouraged, remember God's grace in Jesus. Rest in his grace. He loves you. And he has made you alive with Christ. And that doesn't depend on your performance. So rest in his grace. Rejoice in his grace. Live in God's grace. But secondly, 
live out God's grace. Because God's grace changes and and defines who we are. And it gives us purpose. Verse 10, the last verse of this passage says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that great? We are God's handiwork. In his grace and his kindness, he's taken us from being dead in sin. He's raised us to life. He's created us in Christ Jesus to be his people. He's given us a new identity. So contrary to the the cultural norms of our day that, that tell us that you know we're, we're self-made, we're self-made individuals who define ourselves and choose our own identity. No, we are God's handiwork, created by God, given our identity in Christ Jesus to be his people. And he's given us purpose, namely, what does it say there? To do good works the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. What a privilege. God has prepared good works for us to do today, tomorrow, next year. They're not good works for us to somehow earn our salvation. That's been given to us as a gift. But but good things that God wants us to do, and he's prepared them ahead ahead of time for us. How good is that? We're thinking about vision our church has a vision statement which tries to, to, to capture and express what we're on about, what we're longing to see, what we want to be, what we want to become. Part of it speaks of, of our response to God's grace. It says that we would be so anchored in God's grace, so compelled by God's grace, that we will give ourselves wholeheartedly to, you could say, do the good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God graciously gives us Jesus. And our response is to to give ourselves to be his people, to do his will, to do the good works that he has prepared for us to do. Our vision series invites us to, to respond to God's grace. Now, that response can and should take many forms in, in all sorts of different ways, There are many different good works which God has prepared for us. There are three responses in in particular as part of our vision series, and they are to to pray, to serve, and to give. And I want to invite us all to to reaffirm our commitment in response to God's grace, which is shown us in in Jesus, to commit ourselves in the year ahead to, to pray, to serve, and to give. Uh, Our vision series brochure outlines the details of that. Um, As I said before, please make sure you've you've read the letter. uh, And can I encourage you to take some time today or in the week ahead, more than this brochure, to reflect on the incomparable riches of God's grace to us in Jesus, to reflect on who you are in him and the wonderful calling he's given you as his handiwork. And consider how you can, in response, give yourself wholeheartedly to the good works that he's prepared for you in the year ahead. That's what I want to do. And uh, I'll invite you to join me as we commit to do that together. How about we pray now? Our Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you 
for your grace to us, that you loved us even when we were dead in transgressions and sins. We thank and praise you for the gift of your Son, our Lord Jesus, who died for our sin, who has risen to new life and raised us up with him. We thank you, Father, for the the calling that you have given us to be your people and to walk in the good works which you have prepared for us. Father, please refresh us with your grace. Strengthen us to, to rest in your grace, to rejoice in your grace and to live that out as your people. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.